0: Well, good morning. What's your favorite emoji? Just go ahead and shout it out. Those of you online, put it in the comments. If you don't know, you can open up your messages app and and go to the recent ones, and it'll show you the one that you use the most. Anybody? Bold enough? Thumbs up back here. Finger pointing up. I get some praise hands every now and then in church. That's like the Jesus answer. That's the right answer. For me, for the longest time, it was the thumbs up. Or maybe a winking smiley face, right? But then I read a little article about how millennials and Gen Z think that the winking smiley face is kind of passive aggressive, and so I didn't want to be super passive aggressive, and so I had to change my game a little bit. Um, at this point, I really like the fist bump, right? Have anybody ever seen the fist bump emoji? Or it's actually three emojis, you gotta string it together. This is next level stuff right here, okay? There is a fist emoji, but it looks like if people misinterpret it, it might be like you want to punch them in the face. And I didn't want to send that message. So, so I do the fist bump a lot. It, those three are really high in my list. With my family, which is actually where I text the most now that I have kids with phones and teens with phones. And, and like, there's a lot of texts going back and forth. So, so there's little kisses, you know, little smooches. There's, there's a heart emoji. We use that a lot. I love getting little heart emojis from my youngest kids they that Love you, Dad. Heart emoji. It's like, oh, save that. <laughs> those, days are, those days are numbered, right? And so now here's the audience participation portion. I want to see some hands. All right, next slide. Which one would you rather talk about for the next four weeks? Raise your hand if you'd rather talk about heart, your heart, for the next four weeks or money for the next four weeks. Most of you didn't raise a hand. Most of you would rather talk about nothing for the next four weeks. (laughs) That's going to be rough. Or maybe you don't want to talk about either one. Well, why why don't we talk about both? Because according to Jesus, they're closer linked than you might think. Certainly more closely linked than the world would tell us. We're starting a new series today titled Kingdom Economics. Yes, the second word in the title is economics. We're using some financial symbols. Isn't that clever? I came up with that on my own. I googled to see what there was for Kingdom Economics, and apparently that is the most boring subject in the world because nobody's done anything creative with it. I'm not saying this is the most creative thing out there, but I'll feel really good if somebody hijacks this and copies it at some point in the future, because you got the Euro sign, you got a zero with the dash through it, you got a dollar sign, a one instead of an I. This is pastoral creativity, lead pastor creativity at its finest. The reason, thank you, I appreciate that. Like, you thought lead pastor creativity was an oxymoron, it's not but this is about as good as it gets. And the reason we're going to talk about kingdom economics and the link between our heart and our money is because Jesus did. He talked about money a lot. And worldly economics are very, very different than kingdom. Economics. So we need to pay attention to this. And it fits perfectly with our annual theme on the kingdom of God. We've been talking about this all year. We've had sermon series titled Kingdom First, Kingdom Power, Kingdom Culture, Kingdom Families. Then we shifted it up a little bit with God Is series, which is actually a long, longer series. But God is the king. And so we've been talking about the king for the last nine weeks. Now we're shifting back into that theme And we really are pursuing this year God's vision for our lives. His vision for our lives is that we would be completely immersed in his kingdom, that we would live and move and breathe and have our being in the rhythms of the kingdom, which Jesus the king modeled perfectly for us. He came to launch a kingdom. He came to inaugurate a kingdom. And last week we talked about him as the king of that kingdom, the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. And so today we start a series where we're going to be focusing on learning, applying, and growing in financial wisdom. Financial wisdom. That's our purpose. And I'm going to lean heavily on Ron Blue's materials. He did a webinar that I got to watch through Thrivent Financial about six or eight months ago. And it was solid gold. And in 45 minutes, he broke down and dispensed more financial wisdom than I had ever seen in that short of a time. And I thought, man, there's a really powerful four-week sermon series here. Looking at these four H's of financial wisdom is how he sort of packaged that. And so each week we'll take one of the H's. We'll talk about the heart today. Then we'll look at the health, the habits, and the hope of financial wisdom. We'll look at one each week. And let me just give you a little spoiler alert. There is going to be a ton of Scripture In this sermon series. And that fits right in with our core value that we would center our lives on the Word, and we want to center our financial lives on the Word of God, on the wisdom that God has for us in the pages of Scripture. And we define that centering our lives on the Word as consistently teaching, preaching, and applying God's Word to every aspect of our lives. And so that includes our finances. Because we are integrated beings. It's not like you can be really, really healthy in one or two areas and really, really unhealthy in two or three areas and be okay. We're integrated beings. And a couple of years ago, I preached a sermon series titled Made to Thrive where we looked at five aspects of life that intersect every single person. That you have a physical aspect. You have spiritual. You have relational. You have emotional or mental. And you have financial health. And the varying degrees of health in those areas determine whether or not we can fully thrive. So you might be thriving physically, but in the dumpster financially, you're not thriving. But if we can be healthy in all five areas, and that's what the Made to Thrive series was all about, then we can truly thrive and flourish in the way that Jesus wanted us to. He came that we would have life and have it to the full, that we would have a life that is rich and satisfying, he told us in John 10.10. And so this is a part of that. Our financial health really matters. Our ability to be financially wise and to be financially mature really matters. If you want to check out that Made to Thrive series, There's a QR code that's going to be on the screen. You can scan that or you just go to our website and click on the sermons section and you can find that series. It's a five-week series. It'll march you right through there and it will probably be a good reminder if you were here for then. It'll be a good uh, insights if you were not here at that time in 2019. And I also want to give a little disclaimer, especially if you're new here. (laughs) We're not doing this because the church is going broke, and if, oh, the board said, Pastor Mark, you got to preach a financial series, or we're not going to be able to pay you in a month. There's nothing like that, okay? Linwood has an incredibly strong financial position, even in a very tumultuous financial uh, world. They've been really good stewards and practiced a lot of financial wisdom for decades, long before I got here. And one of the things that impressed me when I was interviewing with this church was its financial strength. We're completely debt-free. We pay all of our bills every month. We have money in reserve, but not so much that we're sidelining big kingdom dollar amounts. Like I, I just feel like Lynn was doing really well. So we're not preaching because we need your money, and we're not preaching because the church just wants your money. Like That's the, always my concern starting a financial series is that somebody new will come in and think, See, I went to a new church, and all they did was ask for money. We're not, we're not asking for money. We don't need your money as much as you need to give it. Because this is a heart issue. And that's why God and that's why Jesus, I believe, talked about it so much. That's why we're talking about it so much. That if you look at the parables of Jesus, some scholars have said as many as a third of his parables have something to do with stewardship the stewardship of our resources, the stewardship of our time, the stewardship of our abilities. And, and so we're talking about this because Jesus did and because d- God did. And it's a big part of the law. He knew that if we could be generous, the whole community would thrive and flourish. If everybody was generous, if everybody put everybody first. And so that's why we're talking about this. And my prayer for you in this series is that you will lean in. That you will not check out that you'll lean in, that you'll take some notes, that you'll move towards financial maturity. I think we all can take a step. And one of the things that Ron Blue really underscored in his thing was just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're financially mature. It doesn't mean that you're practicing financial wisdom. There are a lot of people out there that have a lot of money, but they're not following biblical principles with their money. And so I don't want you to check out just because I'm pretty good, I don't need to worry, I'm fine. Let's lean in, maybe there's something that you know and have learned and have benefited from in your life that will be presented in a way that you could share it with somebody else, somebody that's not in such good shape. I also don't want you to think, I'm so far gone, (laughs) there's no hope for me. I'm just gonna check out and play games on my phone because I'm just about to go into bankruptcy or something like that. Like wherever you are on the spectrum, however you would rate your financial health right now, please lean in and pay attention and learn because Jesus talked about this a lot. And he really desired for us to be financially mature. Everyone can grow. And so today we're gonna talk about the heart And we're going to talk about the heart in the context that our behavior reflects our beliefs. Our behavior reflects our beliefs. And so there is a king in your heart and there is money in your heart. And sometimes that's the same thing. Other times we can make Jesus the king of our heart and make sure that we do with money what he said to do with money. And that's our goal today. Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 6.21, which is about smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, of his most famous teaching he said, "Where your money is, your heart will be also." He drew a straight line between the two. So much so that Dick Townsend, who created the freed-up financial living that uh, used to be presented in churches all over the place, I used to teach this as a budgeting class. He said, "It's it's so much." Jesus talked about money so much that it's impossible to be wrong with money and right with God. Like it, it, it's it's it, there's a line there. He made it clear. That for us to follow him, we have to be good stewards. And so our bottom line today is that our true beliefs about money are reflected in how we behave with money. Our true beliefs about money are reflected in how we behave with money. And we're going to give that to you early and we're going to give that to you often. You'll probably be sick of it by the end of the service, but that's okay. Because there's four aspects to a kingdom heart, and when you came in and sat down, you probably noticed one of these little uh, postcards-sized images. This is yours to keep. This is yours to give to somebody else if you need to on the way out. Um, This is going to kind of guide our message today, that the kingdom heart has four quadrants, so to speak. The quadrants of stewardship, contentment, faith, and wisdom. And we're going to look at each one of those and kind of move through that uh, fairly quickly. But on each of these four areas, we're going to talk about a key question that needs to be answered and a key affirmation that will lead us towards financial maturity. So let's dive in here with the first one there in the upper left, stewardship. Let's talk about stewardship for a moment because this is sort of that key or central verse for the whole series is Psalm 24.1. That's why it was in the sermon bumper, this idea that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and everyone in it this is scripture this this is god saying it all belongs to me it's all his and as if it wasn't enough that the stuff is all his that second phrase establishes that each person belongs to him too it's all his he created it he created it to bring glory to him and it's all his and so that doesn't just stop with the things out there, it also moves in here, into our own hearts. They belong to God, and all of our stuff <laughs> belongs to God. And so the key question when we talk about stewardship, the question that we have to answer is, do I believe that God owns it all? Have I ascribed to that doctrine, that, that biblical teaching, do I believe that God owns it all, that it all belongs to Him? Because if I believe that, then that means I am a steward. Of everything that I consider to be mine. And so when you ask that question, you almost kind of have to follow it with a, really? (laughs) Do I believe that God owns it all? Really? If our bottom line is true, and I really believe that it is, our true beliefs about money are reflected in how we behave with money, then the question would be, do my behaviors reflect that God owns it all? or not because if God owns it all I am a steward of my house of my bank accounts of my vehicles of everything that I would consider to be mine I'm ultimately a steward of that because God owns it all and do my behaviors reflect that because a steward is a manager an overseer a garden guardian It was often a slave or a servant in a household that was the steward. If you think about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament when he's purchased by Potiphar and Potiphar begins to see the qualities and the abilities that Joseph has, he makes him the steward of everything. And then Joseph goes through, you know, the imprisonment, falsely accused, everything, all that. He ends up in Pharaoh's court and Pharaoh sees Joseph's ability, his gifting, the hand of God, blessing, everything that Joseph does. And he makes him the chief steward over all of Egypt. Now, Joseph didn't own all of Egypt, but he was the overseer. He was the manager. He was the steward of everything. And that's our role with all of our stuff, according to Scripture. And so the affirmation, if the key question is, do I believe that God owns it all? The affirmation is, God owns it all. That's the question, the answer to the question. Yes, God owns it all. And as we move through these, you might want to circle or write down the affirmations that maybe you struggle with or maybe you wrestle with a little bit. Maybe you want to do some Bible study or revisit some of these scriptures as you go through this in the, in the weeks to come and, and affirm in your life, in your beliefs, and in your behaviors that God does own. All of it. It's all His. So that's the idea of stewardship. Next up, we have contentment moving over across to the right, upper right-hand corner. And this idea of contentment, we have Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I am not saying this because I'm in need. He's been talking about about them making an offering he says for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances there's that contentment I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want I can do everything through him who gives me strength it's not just for athletes that verse actually has more to do with contentment than it does with making the game-winning shot spoiler alert, I love seeing Scripture on people's, you know, stuff all over the place. I love seeing Scripture everywhere, but sometimes I chuckle when I, when I see it written on, uh, you know, a basketball shoe or, you know, something like that. It's like, yes, you can, you can do all those things through God, but I think he had something bigger in mind. He's talking about contentment, And it's interesting to me, twice he uses the phrase, I have learned. He uses it in verse 11. He uses it again in verse 12. I don't think contentment comes naturally. I've had four kids. I have observed them. Contentment is not natural. More is natural. Wanting more is natural. Wanting more than you need is natural. Contentment has to be learned. Do you want to know what little Mark's first word was? It wasn't mama. It wasn't dada. It was more, it was more, and it was Cheerios. And I wish there were videos of this, but there just weren't videos at the time, but apparently I would lick my finger, and I would stab a Cheerio, and I would eat it. And as soon as the Cheerios were gone, I would say more. And we taught our kids sign language because they can be sign language, their motor before they're verbal, and so we would feed our kids and then they would do this, and they were telling us they wanted more. More is natural. Contentment is not natural. Contentment has to be learned. Enough is not natural. And that's the key question with contentment. Do I believe that what I have right now is enough? Now, obviously, if you're in poverty, the answer to this question might not be yes, but if you're in poverty because you've made poor choices, maybe it is. Maybe there is a way that you could have enough right now. The idea of contentment, Paul doesn't just talk about that I know what it is to have plenty so I can be content. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. There can be contentment in the midst of that. And so the question, do I really believe that what I have right now is enough, that I don't need more? Do we believe that? Really? Do our behaviors reflect that? Or are we driven? Are we always looking to get more? Are we always looking to accumulate more? At some point, we're going to touch on the story of the, the rich fool that Jesus talks about in Luke 12 who had big barns and they were full to capacity. And he's like, I'm going to tear them all down and build bigger ones because I need more. I need more. I need more. And we're at a little bit of a disadvantage today because Billions and billions of dollars are spent every single year to make you discontent, to make you want more, need more. You got a 65-inch TV? Oh, the 85-inch just came out. You better have that. Look how small your TV is. Are you kidding me? It's as big as I am. But as soon as that 85-inch comes out, God. You got a car, reliable transportation, but the new model just came out. It's got car play. I can sync my phone without even touching a button. I need that, don't I? No, not, not really. But billions and billions of dollars are spent marketing this version of the American dream that thrives on disappointment in what we have. And a desire for something more, an entitlement even to more than we have. That if I can't go out and get it, somebody ought to give it to me. And it's all contrasted by God's vision for our lives. God's vision for our lives is contentment, that we would be able to say what we have is enough. Yes, we need to be good stewards of it. We shouldn't squander it. We shouldn't be wasteful. I'm not saying don't save. Proverbs is really clear, and we'll talk about this throughout the series, that it is wise to save and to save up some, but we shouldn't be hoarders. We shouldn't be having so much that we won't give when there's a clear need, and we have plenty. And the American dream is poison for contentment. And so we have to be aware, and we have to be mindful, and we have to recognize When some message from marketing or something that somebody else has, the whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, well, they have that now, I better have. That that's not God's vision for our life. God's vision for our life is contentment, that we would be content with what we have, that we would say this is enough and and receive it with gratitude instead of ingratitude or disappointment for what we have. So the affirmation that can be really helpful in moving us toward contentment is what i have right now is enough it's enough our house is enough my car is enough the things that we have is enough i don't have to have more i don't have to go work a second job so that i can get more so that i can buy a new truck and a new boat to pull it pull around That's the idea of contentment. Now, as we move down to the bottom left on that quadrant of that heart, we're talking about faith. We're talking about faith. Faith is a really big deal. (laughs) In fact, so much so that the writer of Hebrews says something fascinating about faith. As he begins chapter 11, he defines faith in one of the best definitions of faith. And then in verse 6, he says something pretty earth-shattering about faith. In verse 1, he says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain... Of what we do not see that's what faith is it's being sure of what we hope for eternity in heaven with God and confident and certain of what we do not see does that impact our finances at all do you think absolutely now, the earth-shattering thing that the writer of Hebrews says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these are God's words on the page in verse 6. He says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're grateful for the salvation that you've received and you want to please God in return, it's impossible to do that without faith. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. There's faith. That word believe is inextricably linked to faith. And so faith really matters. And the question in regards to faith is, do I believe that I demonstrate my faith through my finances? Do I believe that I demonstrate my faith in God, in His ownership of it all, in His willingness to give me what I need? Do I demonstrate that In my finances? Do I demonstrate my faith, my reliance upon, clinging to and trusting in God and God alone? Does that show up in my finances? And again, the question has to follow it. Really? Like, not just belief intellectually, but do my behaviors reflect that? Because sometimes we get the messed up idea that that my beliefs reflect my behaviors. And it's behaviors always reflect beliefs. That's the direction that things move. And so what is the evidence? If our true beliefs about money are reflected in how we behave with money, what is the evidence that I believe that I demonstrate my faith through my finances? That's our Key affirmation for this the third one, for the area of faith. I demonstrate my faith through my finances. If, if you don't necessarily ascribe to that, then looking at the scriptures that are included there and affirming that on a regular basis would help you to learn and to in, in, incorporate that idea into the way that you handle your finances. Now, the last one is wisdom. The bottom right-hand corner there. The last one is wisdom. And we're talking about growing in financial wisdom. We're talking about growing to financial maturity. And this passage from James 3 is such a powerful passage. And so I want to walk through it slowly, verse by verse, not that slowly, not as slowly as I have it sometimes in the past. If you're checking your watch like I just did, like, how much time do I really have for this? Don't worry, I'll get through it quickly. But this is a really good passage for you to come back to. This is a good passage to get out with a commentary or a study Bible and really seek to understand what James is saying here. Because James was Jesus' brother, And so, you know, I'd kind of like to see what he has to say about this. Because he lived with Jesus. He grew up with Jesus as his older brother. I think he learned some things about life from Jesus. Maybe he didn't accept them until after you know, that whole death, resurrection, and ascension thing, and then he started to reflect on that stuff, and here's what he says. He said, hey, ask the question, who's wise and understanding among you? And we could even put this in the context of financial wisdom. Who's financially wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That, that's basically our bottom line. That if you're really wise and understanding, it's going to show up in your life. It's going to show up in your behaviors. It's going to show up in the things that you do. That's the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. That's the world's way. Get more and brag about what you have and show it off and put it on your Instagram and put it on your Facebook. Look at the new thing I got just treating myself. That's the world's way. It's envious of what you don't have. There's selfish ambition. People working themselves to death just to get a little bit more to pay for the stuff that they already bought. We'll talk about that another time. And to boast about it, such wisdom, verse 15, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. This is not God's way. This is not kingdom economics here in verse 14 and 15. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Look out there. There's disorder and every evil practice that is brought on by and moved forward by earthly wisdom. You kind of got to put the air quotes on earthly wisdom because it's not really wisdom. It's just a philosophy. It's a way of being that is not God's way of being. But, and here's a beautiful word to transition from that, from verse 14, 15, and 16 to verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We need to be seeking verse 17, heavenly wisdom wisdom. Because there is a worldly wisdom that that could be represented by all the marketing and the American dream and everything else, and there is a heavenly wisdom that reflects God's vision for our lives. And they are not the same thing. And so the key question here is, do I believe that God's wisdom is true and available? Do I believe that I can become financially wise? Do I even have hope for that? Do I believe that his wisdom is true, that it's what's real and that what's out there is a counterfeit, is false? And do I believe that that wisdom is readily available to me? And does that show up in my behaviors? Do I really believe that? Do I believe that enough to seek it diligently? Do I believe that God's wisdom is true and available enough to seek his wisdom diligently in every area of my life, but over the next four weeks, maybe over our finances in particular? Do I believe that his wisdom is true and available enough to seek it diligently and to apply it to my life diligently? Because the affirmation relating to wisdom is that God's wisdom is true and available, and if I seek it, I will find it. Earlier in James, he said that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who is generous and willing to give, who will not find fault with us, will not take us to task, but will give us the wisdom that we need. He's already done that in his word. He's going to do that over the next few weeks. And there are tremendous resources that are available, and we'll share some of those resources as we go through the next few weeks that can help you grow in financial wisdom, especially if you identify an area that needs more more wisdom in your life. And so kind of summarize these affirmations, that our hearts will change, our behaviors will change, because if we really believe these things, if we really believe that God owns it all, that what I have right now is enough, that I demonstrate my faith through my finances and that God's wisdom is true and available, that will transform our kingdom hearts. That will transform our kingdom hearts and will lead us towards financial maturity. And so this is available to you, and I would encourage you to respond in faith to some way to this today, whether your response of faith is to identify one or two or three of those that you really need to work on and do a deep dive into those scriptures that are listed there and answer that question and make that affirmation. I would urge you to make a committed decision in that direction today, especially if you need to grow in one or more of those areas. And when I say a committed decision, I got that from this really powerful quote from Carol Hildebrand. She's an author, blogger. Uh, She writes about committed decisions and she says this, she says, committed decisions show up in two places your calendar, and your bank account. No matter what you say you value or even think your priorities are, you have only to look at last year's calendar and bank account to see the decisions you've made about what you truly value. See how you've reserved your time. Look at your expenditures. Those are the trails to to the decisions you have made. It's a powerful quote. It's a powerful distinction. It underscores our bottom line today that our true beliefs about money are reflected in how we behave with money. I urge you to make a committed decision if you've recognized a deficit in one of these areas. That might involve memorizing and reciting the passages that are listed here and the affirmation. Maybe you need to put it in your phone to remind you seven times a day. When I need to memorize something, when I need to really dial down with something, I put it so that every even hour throughout the day, my phone reminds me of that truth. Psychologists call this cognitive behavioral therapy, that you just hardwire, rewire the brain. God beat him to the punch. He said, thy word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thousands of years before some psychologist came up with cognitive behavioral therapy, God was underscoring the value of memorizing his word, hiding it deep into our hearts so that when we get bumped, when we have a decision to, be, to make, that's what comes out, is financial wisdom. And if you're looking at this and you're like, man, thank thank the Lord. I've got these all down. Then would you help someone that doesn't? Would you help someone for God's sake? Now usually when we say that, it's not a very nice thing, but I'm literally saying, would you help someone for God's sake? If you have this all nailed down, if you are solid with stewardship and contentment, faith and wisdom, if these well up within your heart and you feel incredibly affirmed in this message and you're doing all the things that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, then would you help someone? There are a number of ways that you could do that. You could look for someone that you could come alongside, maybe there's someone as close as your family and friends that you know is in a bit of a bind financially, and you could help them develop a budget. Maybe you could do this through the community. We have this powerful partnership with the Community Outreach, and they have a program called Genesis Mentoring. And I love this about the Community Outreach, because they don't just help people stay in their apartment by giving them their rent or help them keep their utilities on by giving them money for their utilities. They also invite them into a mentoring program where they can learn about sound biblical financial wisdom and incorporate that into their lives. Maybe you could be a Genesis mentor for people who perpetually find themselves in need of assistance. And you could help not just give a hand out, but give a hand up. And so if you want more information about Genesis Mentoring, there's information on the screen. There's a, a QR code that take you to a little page with a video by our own Nate Rigg. Nate and Sherry have started coming to Linwood this year, and they're all plugged in. They're the ones that do the family game nights. It's been really cool to see them just immerse themselves in this congregation's life. Well, Nate runs the Genesis Mentoring Program. He'll be here at the next service. You could connect with him and say, you know, I could help with that. Whatever your response is, I just hope you don't do nothing. If there's an area you need to grow, then grow. If you, would, if you would like, you know here, this is kind of impromptu, but you got that connection card. We talk about it every week. And there's a place that you can do other. You could write, I need a financial mentor. And maybe, just maybe, somebody in here would say, I could be a financial member, a mentor. I could be a financial mentor to somebody at Linwood. And maybe we could just do like an informal matchmaker. If you need help, say, I need help. If you're willing to help, get kind of paired up. Maybe we make a contact with Genesis and you get those resources and you can work somebody through that. However this looks, I don't know. This is a little on the fly. This is kind of a whim. But I just think that there's people that are strong in this area and there's people that are weak in this area. And part of God's vision for the kingdom and the Christian community is that those who are strong would help those who are weak. So let's try it. If you need help, tell us you need help. If you would be willing to help, in this area of financial mentoring, then let us know that as well. And let us respond in faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks so much for, for all the financial wisdom that you have available to us in the pages of Scripture. Thank you for talking about this, not leaving us to our own devices, not expecting us to just somehow figure this out. No, you've told us. You've shared with us what financial wisdom looks like. You've shared with us what financial maturity looks like. And so as we embark on this journey of seeking to understand kingdom economics, how the economics of the kingdom are different than the economics of this world, and how we can fully leverage these to be faithful stewards, to be content, to practice and live out our faith in the area of our finances, and to grow in financial wisdom, would you bless us, would you protect us, would you provide for us? And would you guarantee us your favor? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.